Hello, and welcome back to Kids These Days. I'm your host, Dr. Beth Trammell. I'm a licensed psychologist and an associate professor of psychology at Indiana University East. And I come here and I invite other people to join me here to talk about anything that's going on with kids these days and how we can make words matter for good. And that really includes helping answer questions and educate folks on kind of common things that happen with our kids. And so I am really excited that my guest said yes to being here today. Uh, Maria Bray is with me. She is um, an intern of mine. She's been working with me for the last semester and she came on to kind of talk and maybe even um, ask questions and have kind of a conversation around topics that kids and teenagers are struggling with. And so I've invited her to be here um, and I'm glad she's here. So Maria, can you introduce yourself um, and tell us one fun thing about you? Yes. Hello. My name is Maria. I'm very happy to be here. Um, A fun fact about me is that um, I love my dog. I have a dog. And when we adopted her, her name was Maria. So I think it was kind of meant to be. And she's (laughs) basically me, but a dog. So that works out really well. So did you keep her name as Maria too? No, no, we had to change it. I thought my parents were going to make me change my name, but thankfully we got to change the dog's name instead of mine. So that was pretty cool. It was like, it was like a test and who your parent yeah. loved the most. Mm-hmm. Thankfully mm-hmm. they picked me because it was really be good to change my name at 17. So. It's really good that they picked you. I'm glad they mm-hmm. did. That's such a good fun fact. And Thank you. it's like the universe has a line for you that you have a, yeah. a dog. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing. Okay. So today, um, you know, we have a whole list of topics. So this episode is one of, uh, probably many that Maria and I will have together uh, because, you know, the truth is I'm not a young pup anymore. So I work with a lot of teenagers. I work with a lot of young people, but I'm not a young person anymore. And so I love that you can kind of come and share a little bit of the young person's voice. Um, and you've done some kind of poking around and research and different topics topics and that kind of thing. And so today we're going to start by talking about anxiety a little bit. And I think it's a great place for us to start because anxiety has kind of always been, um, you know, it's always been on the radar for, you know, clinicians, but I think even more so now, right? I mean, I think we're seeing just a rise in mental unwellness in a lot of ways. And so I'm glad we're going to start by talking about uh, anxiety. So I know that you have kind of um, some ideas and some questions that you've heard from folks, or you just kind of know young people mm-hmm. might be thinking or struggling with. So your first question is about anxiety and stress, right? Mm-hmm. So go yeah. for it. So what really is the difference between stress and anxiety? Because I feel like a lot of kids my age use it interchangeably because we don't really know oh, I'm stressed versus, oh, I'm anxious and how those two different things affect us differently. It's such a great question. And I'm glad you're um, bringing it up because I do whole presentations for college students around this very topic because it, it is really confusing. And most of us do use them interchangeably. And I think some of the reason we use it interchangeably, one is because we don't actually pay attention to how our body experiences either of those things differently. I think sometimes Mm. the way we experience both stress and anxiety, like our body might feel the same, 
right? So mm-hmm. I might get a headache. I might have tension in my back or I get like kind of a stomach ache. And because I don't slow down to think, huh, is this stress or anxiety? I just pick whatever bucket word, right? So if yeah. my word is stress, I just always use the word stress. Or mm-hmm. if my word is anxiety and you know I've kind of identified with this idea of anxiety, I just say, I'm just anxious. We don't really pause, you know? Do you think that's true too? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of your peers, like, oh yeah, we don't pause to kind of like, huh, what is feeling? What is this feeling? Where did it come from? How can I identify it? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of like, oh, I'm feeling this way. So I must be anxious just because I'm not feeling happy or excited about something. Yeah. And I think we're also, unfortunately, a generation that pretty quickly moves into distraction mode. Yes, definitely. (laughs) So I might like (laughs) experience a little bit of discomfort in some way that my body is telling me something is going on, right? My body is responding Mm -hmm. in a way. And then I'm like, oh, I better get to scrolling. And I'm not even Mm -hmm. sure we think about it all the time. Like, I don't, I don't know that we intentionally are like, I am feeling something in my body that's uncomfortable. I think I'm going to distract myself by looking at TikTok. Yeah. I think we just do it. No, it's not even a thought process. It's like, oh, I'm feeling something uncomfortable. Let's just go do something else and ignore it. Yeah. I actually, yeah. I, I think I think you're right on target because a lot of the work that I've done with individual clients has been to slow down. Before you grab your phone, before you scurry over to talk to a friend at lunch or whatever, like just mm-hmm. take a pause. Even if you just take a pause and a breath, um, mm-hmm. that might be the first thing. And so one of the other things that I talk about in terms of the difference between stress and anxiety is that For me, anxiety is usually fear-based. So it's Mm -hmm. I'm worried or I'm afraid or I'm concerned about something in my past or about something in my future, right? So anxiety Mm -hmm. is more like a a fear or a worry. On the other hand, stress, for me, the way I help folks try to differentiate, stress is more about a pressure, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a pressure to get this work done. I have a pressure to get to my next meeting on time. I have this pressure to, you know, perform in a certain way. For me, that's mm-hmm. more stress related. Now, sometimes they can get to be overlapping, right? So if I am stressed because I'm running late and then I'm afraid that my boss is going to think I'm lazy, it can be both, right? Mm-hmm. I can be experiencing stress and anxiety at the same time. It, it can be at the same time. I think sometimes we also live in a place where we think I can only have one kind of feeling at a time. Mm-hmm. And we all experience like different emotions at the same time. We're just not great at necessarily slowing down to be able to label them. Yeah. So, I think there's definitely a lack of slowing down for sure. Cause it's boom, 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 right to the next thing. Yeah. Okay. So when I say this like difference between fear versus pressure, like, does that seem to make sense to you? Can you imagine those two sort of things a little bit differently? Yeah, that definitely makes sense where anxiety is more, this has happened before it might happen again, whereas pressure is I need to do this right now. Yep. And the first thing that I do with, with clients, if I'm in front of them 
is I have them start labeling. Mm-hmm. Like what things cause you to be anxious? Like, let's start talking about them. Let's put them all down on a piece of paper. And then what are the things that cause you to feel stress? And then start calling it that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so instead of even telling yourself in your head, the narrative of I'm just always anxious, it's like, actually, you're only anxious about these many things, but actually you're really stressed about these other things. Right. So it starts by making sure that you can label it appropriately. So pausing to be able to, to label it and then taking a little bit of time to reflect on what does anxiety and stress mean to me in my life? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what follow-up questions do you have as I share all of that? I think how do I cope with stress and anxiety? Are there different coping mechanisms for each one? Can I use same strategies for both? How do I kind of get through those? Because they're not going to go away, but how do I deal with them? Yeah. It's such a good question because that's the thing that we want to know, right? Like, so how mm-hmm. do I how do I do this better? So yeah. I'm going to start with stress. So okay. when I encounter folks who have high levels of stress, it's usually because they have poor boundaries. Mm-hmm. Okay. So boundaries are a word that we just love in therapy. Oh, we therapists, we love our word boundaries, you know? But the truth is like setting boundaries is tough. It really mm-hmm. is hard yeah. because we we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want to say no. We want to say yes and make everybody around us happy, even at the expense of, you know, our own mental health. And so usually if you're too stressed, it's because you've said yes to too many things. It's because you struggle with saying no, or it's because you struggle with taking things off of your plate. In other words, like reaching out for help when you have kind of already overcommitted. And so if you're a person who's listening and you're like, yep, 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 I struggle with all of those things. (laughs) I would say your first way to manage stress better is to try to decrease your overscheduling by Mm -hmm. saying no more often or by learning how to um, differentiate between something that should be yours versus something that doesn't have to be yours. You know, my husband had, um, I kind of tend to be this kind of person where I, um, you know, I just want to help people. And so sometimes I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And then it's like, wow, I could do that if I crunched everything into like a 72 hour day, which doesn't exist, but so it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Unfortunately. You know, he is, he was very, um, he was very helpful in saying people who ask you to do things don't always expect you to say yes. Sometimes they just are asking you to be asking you and you're a person among a list of people that they're asking. I know for me, it was really profound for me to be like, oh yeah, you know, you're probably right. Like, It's kind of a big ego for me to be like, well, I must be the only person they could be asking, right? That it's okay for them to reach out and you'd be like, ah, it just doesn't work at my schedule right now. And thanks for thinking of me. And I'm honored you think of me and it's a no for now. So that's, um, those are a couple of things. What, what are you thinking about when I say those things about, about stress specifically? 
Yeah, I think it definitely makes sense having boundary issues and saying no to things because, you know, if you're constantly saying yes, it's just more pressure and more pressure and more pressure. So I definitely think for students, especially ones that tend to overcommit themselves, if they don't have the time to do an extracurricular activity because they have a project, they can say no to that extracurricular activity and someone else is going to be able to do it and it will all be okay. Yeah. So this brings up a really good thing that I just thought about when you were saying this, particularly about students and homework, because I can imagine, you know, students might be stressed about, you know, how do I get it all done? You know, I have these extracurriculars that I really want to be a part of. And then my next challenge, Mm -hmm. time management. Oh, yeah. Mm, Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Here we go. So (laughs) we, um, Okay, so there's there's all sorts of ideas around time management, right? Because people are like, I need better time management skills. Well, the truth is time is constant, right? Like there's only so many hours in a day and there's really only so many waking hours that you can sacrifice, right? And yes. I think about it as a sacrifice. So mm-hmm. I have teenagers think about, <laughs> this is not going to be, I'm not going to be anyone's popularity friend here, but- <laughs> Think about how much time you spend on your device. Because if you're a person who is like, I'm stressed and I don't have enough time, go to that little setting that tells you how many times you picked up your phone today. Isn't that wild? Have you done this, Maria? Yes. Yes, I have. It's 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 terrifying. It's and kind of sad sad and embarrassing. I mean, I have a lot of feelings about it when I look at mine and I've picked up my phone 97 times today. Yeah. What is so important that I have to pick up my phone 97 times? It's very, it's wild. And then it's like, you know, this number of hours. So if I'm a person who's stressed and I don't have enough time, let's take a look at how much time we're spending on devices. And even if you carve out 10 or 15 minutes at a time to commit to doing something else, you you may be shocked. The other thing I've said before, particularly for stress management, is I've said, instead of carrying your phone around with you everywhere you go, carry that worksheet or that assignment or a notebook so you can jot down your ideas about a project or ideas that you have. Because we carry mm-hmm. our phones everywhere. We never leave it. Yeah. If we prioritized you know, carrying those projects that we needed to get done, if we can like physically carry them around with us or a notebook, mm-hmm. maybe less stressed. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to think about that, is it? No, not particularly. Just, but you know, it's part of stress. It's not, it's an uncomfortable thing. So it's going to be uncomfortable to cope with it too. So when we talk about anxiety and how do we cope with that, Mm-hmm. I'll share a couple of thoughts, and this certainly right. isn't an exhaustive list, but um, the first one is I say this to everybody who comes in and tells me they're anxious, and then I always feel a little bit bad. <laughs> Honestly, I feel a little bit bad because it feels a little bit like, yeah, I kind of know that, but you're kind of like really putting it right in front of my face. Mm-hmm. The first strategy to de- decrease your anxiety is to decrease the amount of time that you're spending in anxiety provoking situations. So this feels very like obvious, but I'll have folks who come in and they say like, 
I find that I'm really anxious after I scroll through social media. And then I ask them, how much time do you spend on social media? And they'll say two to four hours a day. And I'll say, how about we minimize the amount of time that you're doing that anxiety provoking situation and see if it changes your overall level of anxiety. Maybe you're a person who gets anxious when you watch the news. What would happen if for two days out of the week, you didn't watch the news at all? What if you're a person who gets nervous about having a conversation with your teacher? And so you put off having that conversation with your teacher or your supervisor. If we can minimize the situations that cause us anxiety, we're literally minimizing our anxiety. And so it comes, it starts with us realizing oh yeah, I do get anxious when I am seeing my friends together and I'm not with them and I have some FOMO or I see these other people and they're in their fancy outfits and I don't have a fancy outfit picked out for the upcoming thing that's happening and I'm finding myself getting a little bit worked up about it, right? Put the phone away, put the device away just just for a little bit, right? If you're a person who has challenges sleeping, I, I do this a lot where I prescribe folks like, don't be on your device, don't watch the news, don't do things close to bedtime because yeah. it can cause just more problems with you having difficulty sleeping. So the first tip that I got is to minimize anxiety provoking activities. Feels kind of like, wah, wah. well, I think at least for me, and I know for a lot of my friends, sometimes we just want to make it all go away. We just want to figure out how to stop it. But I think it's important that you're talking about minimizing it, that there is still something we can do about it. It's not going to go away, but we can make an effort to make it better. I think it's such a great point. And I think sometimes people people feel discouraged because they're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but Beth, it's still there. Like, I still feel anxious. And I'm like, yeah, but what level... What level are you at? 10 is like the most anxious you've ever you've ever felt. And two is like, I'm feeling pretty chill. I'm still a little bit thinking about that thing coming up, but like, I'm feeling pretty chill. And so I have people even rate throughout the day. So if you're having a lot of anxiety, I'd have you rate at six different points of the day. What number are you? And what most people find is that while I think... Oh, I'm so anxious. I've been at 10, you know, for six weeks. I'm just so anxious. I'm so anxious. But when I ask you to pause and think and then rate throughout the day, you actually fluctuate between like eight and three and four and seven. And you may never get to a zero, but maybe that's okay. Right. Yeah. So then we can start to have another conversation around like, look at three, you're like doing pretty darn good. Yeah. It's okay if you're at a three. Actually, for most people, particularly high achievers, a low level of anxiety actually motivates you to do good work. Yeah. Because if you weren't anxious about what your teacher thought of you and the letter of recommendation they had to send into college for you, you'd probably be like, I really don't care that much about this assignment in this class. Yeah. So you got to be at least a two or a three. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, Minimizing anxiety-provoking situations. My second strategy is to also minimize caffeine intake. 
particularly in the afternoon or evening time, but try not to drink a lot of caffeine. So one or two cups of coffee in the morning if you have to, one or two Mountain Dews if you need to. Energy drinks are... There's just really, really bad for your body, especially if you have anxiety already. So if you're a person who's listening and you're like, yep, I'm an anxious person and yep, I drink two pots of coffee a day. I say, okay, can we go from two pots of coffee to one and a half and eventually to one or two cups? Because if you're already anxious and you're engaging in, you know, a stimulant, caffeine, it's just going to amp things up. So caffeine can be tricky though, because teenagers, here we go, teenagers tend to think they need the caffeine because they don't sleep enough. Yeah. So how do we manage that when we're like, yeah, I have to have an energy drink or else I'm going to fall asleep in my class. Even though that, I know it's not question. good. Even though I know it's not good for me. Yeah. But we need it. I know. So we how do we, we need how do we fix that? Yeah. Well, you get better sleep. <laughs> you get better sleep. It's, I mean, the long-term goal is to get better sleep. And the short-term goal honestly maybe um, you know, a a very quick nap after school like 10 or 15 minutes, because if you sleep after school, then you're going to not want to go to bed till 12 or one. And then you have to get Mm. up at seven or six 30. And so then you're all jacked up. And um, the best uh, way to kind of get yourself into a routine is to have a consistent sleep wake cycle. So you want to wake up and go to bed at about the same time. And so if your schedule is all wonky, um, you may start with, um, sleep hygiene as a term that we use. It's a set of behavioral strategies around getting better sleep. So you could search up sleep hygiene and try to focus on those things for a couple of weeks to try to get your sleep back on track. Because if you're not sleeping well, your anxiety is going to be worse too. Yeah. Sure. So it's kind of the bad news, right? Where you're like, mm-hmm. I'm tired and now I'm anxious and now I'm stressed because I'm behind and I'm too tired to like think clearly. And it's just like this horrible spiral. Mm-hmm. You're shaking your head a lot. Yes, I am. I definitely am. You're you're hitting all the nails on the head right now. Yeah. And so sometimes it feels like, how do I get out of this like spiral when it feels like I don't have time to get more sleep yeah. and exactly. I don't have time to do, you know, any of these extra strategies. And the only way I can make it through the afternoon is if I have my energy drink. Mm-hmm. So... The bad news is it may take kind of drastic changes to get you back on track. Yeah. And that might mean, you know, taking away some of that caffeine. It may mean going to bed earlier, even if that means you can't get one of those assignments done. Maybe it means you're reaching out for an extension on an assignment that you couldn't get to. Maybe it means you miss practice one day and you're worried about the coach, but you miss practice. Like Mm -hmm. coming back to those boundaries of, you know, you can't do, can't do all of the things, can't do all the things. Okay. And the last thing I'm going to say here, because we're going to be running out of time and we've given folks a lot to think about already. So, oh yeah, I think the last strategy that I tend to encourage folks, gosh, there's two of them really. One is breathing. And Mm -hmm. I talk about breathing a lot and breathing is great for anxiety because it slows the body down and 
your breath is always with you, right? You don't need like your notebook to journal in and you don't need headphones to listen to music. Like your breath is always with you. So you can always come back to breathing and it's always effective at slowing your body down. It may not be great at slowing your thoughts down, but it over time, it will be good at slowing your body down. But the other part is really to try to take control of what are the things or the people that tend to make you the most anxious. So sometimes our relationships make us anxious. And so be proactive with who you surround yourself with. So, you know, all of us have been in relationships where we kind of leave and we're like, whew, whew, I just don't necessarily feel better <laughs> um, around this person. And, you know, God love them, but it's a lot. So um, being proactive and who you surround yourself with. Um, and again, it comes to that, you know, how do I set a boundary with a friend who wants to hang out? And I'm like, I'm just not quite in a space to be able to do that. And, you know, how do I do that kindly, set a boundary kindly. Um, but being proactive about who you surround yourself with can also be a strategy for minimizing your anxiety. So any, any you know, thoughts or questions about any of the stuff we talked about today that you're like, Hmm, I could imagine someone thinking this or imagining this. Oh, yeah. I definitely think that sleep is a big issue because then when you don't get sleep, it just spirals and spirals. And I also think that um, being around people can kind of drain you. It's a, it's a really hard relationship to navigate because you don't want to be rude and mean to them because they're your friends. But when you come out feeling not great afterwards, it's really hard to set that boundary and then it just makes things worse from there. It's true. I mean, particularly, you know, at at perhaps school or your job where you're like, gosh, this person is just, they're either going through something or they're kind of hard to be around and you want to be there for them. But you also know that it does cause you some anxiety or some stress when you walk away, you know, sometimes um, for like therapists and training, so one of the most common things I hear from people who are like, oh gosh, you're a therapist. Like I could never do that. I could never be a therapist because I would take home everybody's problems and I wouldn't be able to separate. And it is part of our training, right? To be like, hey, how do you sit with someone and be really empathetic with them and like really hear their story and then be able to walk away and have your own life. And in some ways, it's kind of similar when you have some friends, you give them everything you've got, right? Like you show empathy and you show listening and you you do all those things. And then when you walk away, you just have to realize like, I gave the best version of myself to them and I can't, I can't keep carrying it. And separating that can be hard sometimes though. So I'm glad you came today and it was, it was fun to kind of hear your um, your thoughts and those the thoughts of people, young people that you know. And so I look forward to the next time we get together. And it sounds like maybe sleep would be a good topic for us to talk about too. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a good topic. So anyway, <laughs> yes. listeners, thank you for being here with us. Um, I, If you want to learn more about the work that I do, it's makewordsmatterforgood.com. You can follow on social media, MWM with kids. And until next time, everyone stay safe and stay well. Maria, thanks for saying yes to being here. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me and giving high school kids a voice. It's great. I love it. All right. Until next time, y'all. 